0: Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 154 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And uh, you know, one thing we haven't done in almost three years of the podcast is uh, have a worship leader on. I don't Think that has happened when I look back over the archive. So it is about time, and I can think of uh, nobody better than uh, Todd Fields to have on the podcast. He's been leading worship at North Point for over 20 years and now does a lot of coaching of worship leaders all over the country and super, super connected. And you know, if you think about it, the worship leader position is something that impacts all of us. Um, if you ever go to church, you're going to sing, and that is impacted if you're a lead pastor. Uh, one of the key relationships you have is with the people who are on the platform with you. And then if you are a worship leader, and there's a lot of you listening, um, you're going to learn a lot. Plus, how many churches haven't fought some kind of a music battle, right? And so Todd's kind of lived through it all. We have a great conversation, a really good conversation. And I think above all, you'll see what a great heart Todd has. So really glad you're tuning in. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. And we are coming up on uh, a really big fall, both on the podcast and um, uh, well, with everything going on in ministry too. So we have the third anniversary of the podcast coming up. We're going to be dropping some details uh, for you on that next episode. And just a little thank you for three incredible years. And then we got a big celebration coming up uh, later this fall, which, you know, hang on, for that one. Also, man, I am pumped to be on the Orange Tour this fall. If you haven't registered for that yet, go to orangetour.org. And remember in five cities, we are going to be joined the day before by Andy Stanley and I'll be at all of those cities. So you can go to orangetour.org or deepandwide.com and you can learn more about that. Also, um, hey, I am releasing a brand new resource this fall for church leaders that I am so excited about because, you know what, I'm all about reaching people. I think that's one of the calls God has put on my life. And for over two decades now, uh, I have worked in a local church and continue to work there. But man, we had to break through all kinds of barriers to get where we are today. So today, we're a church that reaches over 1,200 people on a weekend, 2,500, 3,000 people call our church home But it didn't start that way. I started uh, 22 years ago with like six people at one church and 14 at a second and 23 at a third. And we had to push through all kinds of barriers, you know, growing to 50 people and then 100 and then 200 and 300, 400 up to where we are today. And you know what? It's hard, but it's harder than it needs to be. A lot of people think like, I don't even know how to you know, push past 200. In fact, did you know, 85% of all churches in North America never break the 200 barrier. And one of the reasons is it just feels so hard. In fact, I know a lot of pastors who almost break trying. And for me, it was harder to lead a church of 200 than it was to lead a church at 1200, plain and simple. It was just harder and it doesn't need to be that hard. So this fall, I'm releasing a brand new course called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You. And if you want more information, you can be an early adopter and get in right now. You can go, to Breaking 200 Without Breaking You and join the waiting list. I'll be bring you details. You're not going to miss anything. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I'm really excited for that. So if you haven't checked it out yet, this is the first week you can do it. You can go to Breaking200WithoutBreakingYou.com and find out a little bit more about it and sign up for the waiting list so that you are the first in. And hey, I want to thank TrainedUp.Church because they do an unbelievable job of equipping large and small churches to do incredible work in training their volunteers. I know at Connexus Church this fall, we got to recruit a whole bunch more kids ministry leaders because we are growing like crazy. We have spent all summer setting kids ministry records. We don't know what's going on, but we need more volunteers. And training them can be a challenge, whether you have 10 volunteers or whether you have 1,000. And TrainedUp.Church is helping large and small churches do just that. So here's the idea. They're moving training online. That's right. They provide the portal. They can even do the training for you. So like it's just done for you. You don't even have to do it. Or you can do your own training and upload it to their website. And your volunteers can go in on their own time at their own pace and complete the training. So imagine half the work, twice the effectiveness. That's basically what trainedup.church is about. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you do that. Go to trainedup.church today and uh, tell them I sent you. In the meantime, we're going to jump right into my conversation with Todd Fields. If you're going to watch show notes on this, by the way, you can always find them at leadlikeneverbefore.com. Just in the search bar, type in Todd Fields or click on blog, which is where all the show notes are kept. And now here's my conversation with a guy who has led worship for two decades at one of the most influential and honestly one of my favorite churches in America, North Point Community Church, my conversation with Todd Fields. Hey, it's great to have Todd Fields on the podcast today. Todd, I'm so glad you could join us. Thank you. Gary, it's an honor to be with you. And Todd has been kind of the the head worship leader, the lead worship leader now for almost since the very beginning at North Point Community Church in Alpharetta and now all over the Atlanta area. So you were, you were there almost like Sunday one, like almost, right?
1: Just about. You know, a couple months in, I was on stage and they said, hey, come back and do this again. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> and and the, the stage was a little bit different um, back then because wasn't Lane Jones a worship leader?
1: Harry Lane Jones, for those of you who know Lane, awesome friend, a great guy. He was the first worship leader.
0: Was he, he was really?
1: In, yeah, he was in a suit and tie. And then, you know, just waving his arm, c- conducting the audience. <laughs>
0: conducting the orchestra? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great. now didn't have an orchestra, but it was fun.
0: Lane's been a uh, podcast guest, and uh, also, if you listen to Andy's podcast, uh, you will know Lane because uh, he and Andy do it together. And then uh, Andy was a worship leader back in the day, wasn't he?
1: Man, he was a musician, songwriter, guitar player, piano player, and uh, really had a big impact on me because when I was in high school, I tried out for a band he was putting together at First Baptist Atlanta, and that's how I got started in church and doing music in church.
0: Really? So, you were in Andy's band? <laughs>
1: he was a rocker.
0: (laughs) Apparently he uh, was pretty good too. I've never, you know, other than the odd moment, never heard him sing or or whatever.
1: And he taught me a few guitar chords and was really good on piano. And I think had a really good sense of songs and how songs fit together, you know, Hmm. just how to to make a band sound the way it should be, everybody playing together. But it's been a long road. I heard
0: him say on one of his leadership podcast episodes, uh, talking about gifting, he said, you know, You want to figure out what you're great at. What do you do that seems effortless to you that is difficult for other people? And he talked about, like, from the time he was a kid, he could just listen to a song on the radio, sit down at the piano and play it. And he said, you know, he he just can't figure out why everybody can't do it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like, I'm not a musician. That is so foreign to me. And uh, even another mutual friend, Reggie Joyner, who heads up Orange and Rethink, and we both know him. Did did he ever? I've never asked him this in the thousands of hours I've spent with Reggie. I actually don't think that's an exaggeration. He was a worship leader, but did he ever lead worship at North Point, Reg?
1: I don't think he did. He had a big influence, though, in in our culture, musically, especially in student environments. But... He just, yeah. man, he's, he's got good taste in music. <laughs> he, he has
0: great taste. I mean, I've, I can tell you numerous times we're driving down the road together. He's like, hey, 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 I want you to listen to this song. What do you think? Yeah. And, you know, all <laughs> right. that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So uh, you have seen now, I mean, I've been in leadership almost as long as you have, or about the same time since 95 is when I started in the church. And a lot mm. has changed. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Definitely. So from a worship leader's perspective and somebody who now pastors worship leaders, mm. what have you seen change over the last few decades?
1: And it's gotten a bit more complex in some ways, I think. You know, my mind, Karen, you'll remember these days, it goes back to being a kid in the 70s and there was a minister of music oh yeah and 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 the minister of music had a choir and a keyboard player and an organist and that was kind of it and if you had a lot of resources you'd have an orchestra (laughs) right uh, right. you know it was kind of like you the music was in this hymn book and that's what you did and it was annual you would pick the hymns what what songs were we doing and then the maranatha praise and and Vineyard stuff started happening in the 70s and 80s. And it's started moving towards some of these new songs being written. And so, mm. you know, I stepped into it kind of in the back of the 80s and uh, heard a guy named Graham Kendrick from England, who's oh, actually yeah. been mentored mentor to Matt Redman and Martin Smith. And
0: Is that um, Shine saw,
1: Jesus Shine? Absolutely. Guy? Yeah, 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 I remember that. But I was on a uh, mission trip to Russia, and we were in Germany preparing for it. And I saw Graham and his band in Nuremberg. And my mind was blown. I was like, there's a band playing (laughs) songs to God on stage. Like a band, right? A band. And it was like, these guys are, man, they're pretty cool. And these songs, the melodies, like I'm remembering when I go back to my room at night. And so that was right about the time that Louis Giglio moved from Texas with Shelly. They had started a Bible study called Choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, Louis's dad was um, ill at the time. So they moved back to Atlanta and we started this thing called 722, it lasted really for a decade, the first part of North Point. And man, within that time, it was just like an explosion of songs and worship music and worship artists and writers and bands. And it was it was really kind of unprecedented. You know, I don't think that had happened in that way before. Um, and then, you know, Nashville and the music scene got a hold of it. And then, then it's on the radio and it's. You know, so I think the band thing really reared its head in the
0: late 80s and the mid 90s. And that's kind of where we're at now. You know? Yeah, Still. it is. You know, it's funny. you will have defining moments and you might have had Graham Kendrick in Germany. But for me, I remember being on vacation. It was the year 2000. Uh, the world had not melted down despite all the predictions. And yeah. uh, I got my hands on my first ever passion CD. And I think Mm -hmm. Louis had only done A Passion one day then. It was Orange, if I remember right. And I remember putting that in, and that was the first time, because I'd heard the bands, but that was the first time I ever heard a band that I went, wow, I like this. Like, this is actually good music. This is really good music. And we kind of forget. I mean, that was less than two decades ago, but we forget how revolutionary that was, really.
1: It It was an exciting time. I remember being in our first house. We had just had our first son, Louie had just done the first passion conference and he called me because we were talking about what we were going to do the next week. And he said, Todd, I can't even like tell you what God did at this thing. It was amazing. And he goes, There's this song called Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble? And it's from this band Delirious. And we did it. And man, it just like, God, like this this thing blew up, and these students were all over it. And it was kind of like our anthem for this, this passion conference. So yeah, it was. I mean, just being in the middle of all that and being a fly on the wall and then participating in it some, it was a really crazy cool time of just new things happening in the worship realm in church.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, when I I think I've seen old video uh, floating around the halls of North Point at one point or another where you guys started and it was basically, do you remember choruses? That's what we used to call them. Like, It was basically not worship songs. It was kind of choruses. I'm I'm trying to remember, but it wasn't quite, you know, thank you, Lord, but it was close. Uh, yeah. I mean, but that was contemporary back in the mid-90s, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when, it was
0: Chorus City. The simpler, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we go from choruses, and what have been some of the other evolutions? Like, kind of give us the, the brief 20, 25-year history of worship music.
1: Well, you know, the chorus thing was really big. And the the next thing in my mind that I remember is we were doing 722. It was Steve Fee, Christian Stanfill, and me. And they came in and they they're like, have you seen this Hillsong United video? And I was like, what's that? Right. And they they were like showing us this video in the green room. And we're hearing this song, like, Mighty to Save. And I'm going, this is epic. Yeah. This, this, this like, anthem thing. And then... Man, you you know you remember, but it was like then these anthems started to be written, and then Chris Tomlin kind of came on the scene right about that time with Louie and the guys Mm -hmm. at Six Steps, and how great is their God comes out, and it was almost like the era of the anthem, and there was just these massive Mm -hmm. confessions and songs that that were huge for the church, you know? Yeah, and it was it it was a little bit more um, weighty than just a simple. The choruses were powerful, but it was a little bit more weighty, and the verses had a little bit more substance. Right, almost, almost like maybe this is what's happening, Carrie. But over time, it's like we got super simple, and then we're we're gravitating back toward him stuff. Really, in my opinion, it's like we're people are, I think, wanting more theology and more depth in the music, still singable, but you know, that was kind of the step back toward that. I think.
0: So the anthems took us through a number of years, and now we're at the point where, yeah, music is morphing. I mean, I picked up the latest Hillsong United, and it's all synth. I mean, I lived through the 80s. It's all synth, and it's very ethereal, very floaty. The music just kind of floats. There's not as much rhythm and, you know, syncopation, and I mean, I'm not a musician, so I'm probably using all the words inaccurately, but
1: you're using all the right ones, man. Oh, is it is it okay. <laughs> so what good. what is what is
0: what is with that? Why do you think we're moving back to hymns?
1: Man, I don't know. i've I've been gravitating in my heart and just a lot of leaders I've talked to. Um, I personally feel like, and you've even written to this a little bit, Carrie, that we've been so highly produced and so many churches have tried to be so highly produced for so long that like the generation coming up, um, I don't know, it's, it's almost like overload because we have so many gadgets in front of us and, you know, so many things going on that are occupying our attention that there's just this gravitational pull I'm sensing back towards the simple yet powerful, like
0: foundational things. Um, so. hmm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting trend. So when you think back over the last two decades – what trends or even what you see right now, what trends encourage you, Todd? Like, what do you go like, hey, I think that that has been a good thing for the church. What have been some good things for the church?
1: Man, I think, um, the idea of worship being a a piece of what God uses in the heart of a person in the church service is a powerful thing. My life was impacted that greatly because, um, Louis Giglio, when we did 722, just being around him any amount of time, you you know, you kind of carry that idea that we're here to exalt Christ in all things and we are worshipers and worship does something to dispel darkness. It you know, it reminds us of the truth and the presence of God is a big deal and the spirit of God. And so those first like that first decade for me was just you know so encouraging to be around that. And I think that idea that worship is more than just singing songs, like we're here to meet with God, and in these songs the human heart can encounter the Spirit of God in what we're doing in this time. I feel like that's happening more and more in the church, um, and th- that's super encouraging to see.
0: How has that? Because um, I mean, North Point has been on the forefront, and we're a North Point strategic partner. So you know, I'm somebody who believes in the you know what God is doing through North Point. But when you think about the whole North Point, really was an offshoot of this, not at the heart of it. But the seeker-driven or seeker-targeted or seeker-sensitive churches were always concerned about the unchurched who are in the room. Mm. How does that like presence of God, spirit of God, um, you know, worship thing work in a church where you really got unchurched people in the room day after day? I mean, you've straddled that every Sunday of your your yeah. ministry. How does that work for you?
1: That's a great question, Carrie. And it's one that, you know, I think about a lot in my own life. um, And I'll bring some, some insight from some friends into this as well. But uh, in my own life, sometimes I feel like I've idolized the seeker Mm. and I've made such a focus of don't do this for the seeker. Be careful of that. That it almost froze me up. Um, I read a book early on that is actually on Andy's desk that Louie talked about called Worship Evangelism by Sally Morgenthal.
0: I read that book. It's a great book. It's like 1995, right? That yeah, era. right
1: about that time. And, it, it man, I, I keep coming back to that because I feel – and Christy Knuckles has this thing she teaches, and it's this thing we do. But she talks about our job is to bless God and release the people. and. Mm that was a brand, I mean, not a brand new concept, but I was like, wait a minute. He did say to love us with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the same, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So for me and what I'm seeing right now, I just think, I think people that don't know God, there's a mystery involved, not in alienating the seeker and such that we talk about God in such a foreign way that they're like, this is weird.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: But there's an attractional, mysterious thing the Spirit of God is all about. When we as broken people come before Him, we're okay about sharing in our brokenness, yet pointing them to the cross and the one who can heal us and them, and then lifting up His name and letting them know in the process of what we're about to do, that we're about to do that. And I personally believe that that's highly attractional because He meets with us there they go, this is different, you know, this is not, (laughs) this isn't just a bunch of people kind of doing some rote thing. Like these lives have been changed and they're responding to God. They're coming here to bless him. So
0: is that, that you think in part that people have changed or that we have changed in the church? Like, do you think culture has shifted enough that there was an era where people, you really had to be respectful and now people are just hungry for something transcendent? Or do you think No, maybe the pendulum swung a little bit far in the church and now it's swinging back.
1: Man, I think the church just got so insider focused, you know, as Andy would say, Mm. like to the so much so that it was like a club and, hey, you're not welcome here if this is, you know, if you're this or that or you got to be like us to be this way. So there, for for in the 90s, man, there were so many stories of people that were burned by the church. like, And it, it still happens. But I think there was this overarching trend of it's us and them. And then as we became like, hey, we want to create a church that unchurched people are like welcome to. That's a great thing because it's like, well, we want to make sure that with what we do before God, we're communicating to these people that they're loved by God. This place is open for them. So it's, it's really been a cool mindset to go from, we want to be a place that welcomes everybody. And we I think that's been a great thing. But for me, it's, it feels like now there's just a hunger for, and you've heard this, and you guys have probably talked about it, just authenticity. Mm-hmm. And some, without being like hocus pocus and weird, I as a worship leader feels feel like there's a way to help worship leaders lead in such a way that they're being super authentic and by blessing the Lord and they're leading the people in that. And that's just a powerful thing to do. You know, it's letting people know why we're about to do this in a way that they understand whether they know God or not.
0: Yeah, and we're then, definitely part of that evolution and movement in our approach to worship as well. But would you say there are like limits if you're gonna have truly unchurched people in the room? And I mean, last Sunday we had friends in the room. We had friends of friends in the room and, you know, lots of non-Christians, which is a privilege as as a Christian yeah. church to have it. Is there a line at which you're just like, now nah, we can't do that? Like, do you see a line or do you think those lines are being erased?
1: I mean, I, I think there's got to be a line somewhere. There's definitely going to be family stuff that we do with just family. I get mm-hmm. that. But I think we've created a stumbling block sometimes for seekers because... We just sing through the songs. Maybe our song choice is not such that maybe it's popular in our niche or what we're yeah. in, but the person who doesn't listen to worship music is sometimes we make it so hard as worship leaders with just the songs we pick to engage the heart of people um, when they just need a simple, you know, amazing grace every now and then. Yeah. To go, hey, hey, I remember that when I was a kid and I hadn't been in church in a while. And wow, that did something to my heart because I remember that memory, you know. So when we when we train worship leaders, we try to help them remember that, man, song choice is so huge. We can just alienate so many people by not making sure we know our people and we're, you know, picking songs that people are going to be moved by and that they're connected with from their past and their present.
0: Hmm. Uh, what about production? Because uh, I know this isn't in the questions I sent you, but it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, um, Productions changed a lot too. Before it was just a couple of spotlights. And I mean, now yeah. literally there right. are stages in the church in the United States and around the world that probably have a million dollars worth of AVL in a single stage alone. You got lights, mm-hmm. you got haze. I mean, you got, you got more production often than local theater or even Broadway. Well, can that ever be a barrier? Like, is there too much, or or how does that help, or how does that hurt uh, the process of leading people into the presence of God or into a relationship with Christ?
1: Carrie, um, I think, like, all, you know, all things, production's a tool, mm. and whether it's highly produced every single week or stripped down every single week, um, I heard this Howard Hendricks quote from a friend of mine years ago. It says, when things are predictable, impact goes down. Yes. And I I love the idea that we need to have some kind of predictability in leadership in the church. That's a given. But from a creative standpoint, I feel like us moving things around a bit and keeping people guessing somewhat from time to time creates an expectancy within the church and people come in and go, wow, this is different. You know, yeah. this isn't the same thing we have every single week. And if you do that, you know, if you do the same thing every single week, same order, same, the whole deal over time, man, it's just like, that's why, you know, every now and then we'll just strip it down and just have, you, you guys probably do the same thing. Acoustic sets or just the piano, um, anything like that that we can do. Cause people, one, I think people want to sing. um, hmm. We put so many things in the way for them to look at this eye candy. And it's like, I love just to say, guys, if your church is not singing and engaging, man, take a week and take it all away (laughs) and get somebody up there with just a piano or a guitar that's gifted at that with the heart to let people know how powerful it is for their soul to join with another soul and say these true things to God and bless him with these words. It's powerful. And we're all mutually encouraged as we hear other human voices in a room saying things about being free or, you know, how great God is. It's in us. It's it's in us. God put that in us. And when we do it, man, it's just a powerful thing.
0: I've got friends who, who have said and pointed out accurately, sociologically, that church is pretty much the only place you sing out loud in public anymore. <laughs> I mean, maybe if you go to the ball game, you know you're going to try to sing the national anthem but look around like only half the people are sort of singing um what do you say to that it's a
1: lost i mean you're right i mean my grandparents stood, you know they grew up around the piano yeah and families would sing and that was part of culture i mean it's just part of culture other than karaoke bars that's that's well you know a few drinks and anybody'll sing anything but um, I think what I would say to worship leaders listening or pastors listening is what you just said is an analysis and a, a thing to keep in mind as you're leading people. It's a great intro to worship sometime. Hey, maybe the last time you, you sang was in a karaoke bar or birthday at your son's birthday. But in church, we sing, and this is why we sing. You know, Sometimes the best leadership technique as a, as a music leader is just to make those observations because when, when you make that observation for the people who are coming in who don't know God, they're going, he's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm going to lean in a little more.
0: <laughs> so, Todd, tell me, wh- um, any trends that you see right now or over the last 20 years that you're like, yeah, I'm not really sure that was a good thing. <laughs> I'm not sure we should be doing that. Oh, gosh.
1: Other than handbells, I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, man... um. That's a great question, Carrie. And I think for myself and a lot of people who are musicians or singers, you know, worship music and worship songs became kind of such a big deal. It was almost like, um, hey, you can be famous and you can have a hit song like that. And I think that thing getting so popular for a lot of people in churches, I know for myself, it was like, you know, if I can just write a hit song man, God, this will be my purpose and I will have arrived, (laughs) Hmm. you know, and, and the, the fame thing of uh, these known entities that are worship leaders came on the horizon. And that was, that was a good thing because things, songs were known and all that, but it was like, you know, friends of mine that I talked with, it's like, I don't know that we were meant for that to the extent, and it's a really hard thing to juggle. But I think a lot of worship leaders maybe struggle with that, like, in. Am I good enough, or am I, you know, I'm not as popular or I haven't written hit songs, God, what do you want me to do in my church? Hmm. Um, the other thing that that's bothersome to me, and I'm gonna say this, and it might sound like a really weird thing to say, but I think a lot of times, because we need people that sing well to lead and we're trying to resource the church with volunteers, oftentimes people are picked because they may have a decent voice, but, their leadership ability and a leadership of people ability is just not there. Yep. So it's like, Hey, why is this person leading worship? Well, they have a decent voice and we can't find anybody else. And (laughs) so the, the time of worship ends up being, you know, it's kind of like just song. Here's the song. Here's the song. And I tell worship leaders, like you've got a melody that is memorable with a song you're about to lead and if you would learn how to pastor people in moments i mean talk about a just a home run of a leader you've got melody on your side it's emotional mm-hmm. so if you can learn the art of loving people well as a communicator and as a pastor in that moment as well as just a good singer man you're going to be a some you know somebody to deal a heavy blow to the enemy for your church and to just encourage people and lead them well. So that, that's my heart, really, with all that I've learned through the years is to try to help. I see that as a problem. I call it the worship puppet syndrome. You know, we have worship puppets.
0: It's like- <laughs> so These are they, they, they're just singing, but not really feeling it and not really in the moment. I want to go back to what you said, too, about that desire for fame. I, I don't think worship leaders are alone. I mean, that would be a very obvious arena, where yeah. people would be, wow! I'm just a you know worship leader at a local church, and you know I might right. I might be at the third campus, so I'm not even at the main yeah. campus. And is God using me? And am I significant yeah. and good enough? I I think almost everybody you know in the age we live in is struggling with that. I hear from young leaders all the time. I get this question like, do I need a platform? I even wrote a blog post about it because they're like, well, I'm 30 years old and I don't have a platform yet. I'm like. When I was 30, I didn't even think about a platform and, you know, but it's almost like a rite of passage. You need, you need personal branding and you need this. And it's like, no, 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 you don't. You just, you know, I, I, I don't think everybody does. I think you don't need a platform. You can be a very faithful pastor and nobody knows your name and you can be a very effective pastor. (laughs) Nobody knows your name. Same with the the worship leader or, you know, all of that. I think that's a really good point. And you mentioned pastoral moments. That is something that we have been talking about for two or three years at our church and really trying to do a better job of. Um, right. What What does that mean to you to have, because it's not just pastoral moments by the speaker, you know, pray after your message or pastor people through a prayer. You're talking about worship leaders um, yep. shepherding a, a, a pastoral moment. Talk about that.
1: Well, um, it started for me, with my pastor and friend andy uh when we we started north point as you as you guys listen to know he's just a really gifted communicator Mm -hmm. so i would be leading songs and he challenged me he's like todd you've got this song what if you told a story to set up the song something that happened in your life or some way to help people feel and understand what this song is even about and so man from the get-go he was kind of challenging me to do that and man Carrie, i'll never forget you know i shared a story about my dad and something just a discipline moment i had with him and how he explained that it was jesus did the same thing for me he took you know my punishment and i said that to the people and god just like landed in the room by me just being authentic with a piece of my life and shepherding these people And the song that came after that was just like the volume came up because the people had seen. And Matt Redman says this, we can't sing until we've seen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the things that's so needed in our churches is a partnership, pastor and worship leader, to take the entire service with an open hand and go, Spirit of God. Our goal isn't just to output this information. We can do that all day long. Here's five of this, here's six of this here's here's three songs with what you're leading us toward for these people who you love, you know what could we what would you move our hearts to moments in the service that would be highly impactful and resonate with everybody and help us to look for those like we're mining for diamonds as a team together and give us discernment as we're preparing to make space. For you to do what you alone can do to speak to the human heart through what's said before a song, during a song, you know, after a song, or pastor, are you speaking and you want to incorporate a moment in your, you know, talk just for people to process and how does that work? Could that work with music? It's, it's just exciting to think what could happen if we, I love what you're saying, Carrie, but if we we looked for moments and asked God to open our eyes to moments for people to encounter his love for them, you know, as we're going on the journey week after week.
0: That's awesome. That's a great way to think about it, you know, because I think God wants to do more than we think he wants to do. And sometimes yeah. we forget that. And I know at our worst moments, you know, we call it service programming in our world, but in our worst yeah. moments, you know, and anybody can relate to this. You look at a service and it's slots to fill. We need one more sure. song or we need five more minutes or whatever. But, you know, at our best moments, we're, we're seeing it as space for God to move in. And we get yeah. to facilitate it through, uh, I call it an emotional plot line, you know, or the mm-hmm. rules of engagement or whatever. And I, I think the more sensitive we are to that, the more um, we we don't get in the way when God wants to speak to his people. Right that's so good. So, sometimes there's a tension between what I would call a performance style of worship leading and an engaging style. And I'm I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it, but I see this growing tendency. I mean, you see, you know, it, I feel like a decade ago, uh, a lot of the bands in in churches like ours and and similar to that, they would just kind of stand and play. And now you Mm -hmm. see like a lot of jumping around, a lot of like people worshiping with their instruments. And there's this real, almost neo-charismatic movement in the church that I'm sure most of us are tuned into. Um, What are some pros and cons between, you know, a band that plays and a band that's so engaging that, and they're so worshiping? Is there a downside to that when you got, you know, outsiders in the room or is, is it all upside? What are the pros and cons of each?
1: Man, um, I think, you know, I've heard Andy say this before, but we're all performing. It's just a matter of who we're performing for. Mm. So back to what Christy said um, about our job is to bless God and release the people. In our hearts as musicians and worship leaders and people on the stage, we have to search our heart and say, God, is my goal as I go out here to lead people and point people to you? Or is my, you know, the fleshly piece would be, gosh, I hope they think that, you know, the way I'm moving with this beat or whatever is that and that most people, I would say most people, that's not their heart. But it is there is a fine line. And but I hear people say often, man, they're just performing. And I think what people mean by that is they're trying to get glory for themselves with their show and, you know, the way they're moving around and how how high energy it is. But Mm. I think things can be. The things need to be high energy it really is dependent on the song and the team and what you're going out there to to lead people toward if you're going out there to lead people toward a celebration of victory over death and there's an upbeat song i hope that it's not a bunch of sleepy people going out there yawning going hey guys we're gonna sing you know and i hope that Part of worship leadership is the band and the leader voicing that and shepherding people toward what we're about to respond to and then doing it in an authentic way and inviting people into that, you know, whether they know God or not. I think anybody would probably get excited over the idea that death has been defeated. You
0: know, Mm -hmm. they can
1: at least go, hey, I get why they're excited about that.
0: So the worship leader is no different than the preacher, where we all struggle, and it's like, I hope they laugh at my jokes, I hope they think it was great, and then you're like, wait, 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 that's not what it's about. That's not what yeah. it's about, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's is it a constant motive check then?
1: It is. Um, it's a motive check in the moment. Hmm. I mean, I've been I've been leading some, and it's like, God, I'm so worried about God. Oh, and then you know, just praying internally, Carrie, and going. Lord, this, this is about loving you and loving these people and really just reflecting back to them who you are and what you say about yourself and them. And save me from that, you know. But God, it's a constant deal, I mean, for all of us.
0: Where do you see worship leading heading in the next few years? Like we've talked about trends a little bit, but if you're going to plot the trajectory, you said maybe a few more hymns, a little more substance in the lyrics. What else do you see?
1: Man, I think, um, I think out of necessity, I just don't, you know, you mentioned kind of the high scent thing and I think that's great, um, but maybe there's going to be even more of a return to simplicity more often. Um, I'm sensing that just, just because you can chase the production rabbit forever and you can try to make it bigger and faster and more colorful and more smoke and all that. But at the end of the day, Carrie, it comes back to the heart of worship for God, a simple, broken people being led by a simple, broken person who's really just shining a light on the cross and saying, guys, look at this, let's respond to it. So, you know, I don't know that it, the trend is is I can't predict the future, but I really do hope and what we've talked about that pastors around the world and worship leaders will come together as a team and they will open-handedly come before God and go, hey, creative guy, you've got a heart for creativity and kind of the emotive side of what's going on with people. Hey, pastor, you're more of a thinker. You're more of a reason guy. What would happen if we partnered together In service planning and carried this thing with open hands and loved our teams and each other in a way to combine both the mind and the heart in a way that just glorifies God week after week. So Mm -hmm. I hope there's more of a partnership in that and it's less of a misunderstanding, you know, in the ranks at churches.
0: In terms of musical trends, it's been written up in just mainstream media, but also in church world that. You know, the guitar has almost died in pop music. If, if you look at any top 40 playlist uh, over the last few years, there's very little guitar. It's almost all EDM. It's, it's all electronic. It's basically production with a vocalist on top of it. And church music is different. We've still got a band, although it's kind of funny these days. Sometimes I think our band is there just as decoys while the tracks play right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, just stand there and pretend you're playing, but you're not for this part of the song. Uh, what do you think when the way the church likes to do music, like does that, does our preference for like guitar, drums, keyboard really become the organ of 30 years ago or the orchestra of 30 years ago where there, we think our music is contemporary, but the culture has moved on. Any thoughts on that?
1: Man, I, I think it can be. Um, I think we all need to keep an open mind. And I always encourage churches, you, you know, this Carrie, but a lot of our listeners are dealing with volunteers and they don't have professionals
0: there. Yeah. And so Snoop Dogg is not producing the house. At <laughs> you places, know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah.
1: So you, you have to play to your strengths. And I always tell churches that, man, if you've got somebody that leads by themselves from piano, man, do that on a Sunday. If you've got a killer band, use them if you've got a kid who loves electronic music and programs and is getting his feet you know feet wet in that and it feels great and you can do that man involve him again back to what we said about you know kind of changing things up i think the beauty of it is there's so many we have access to so much music and so many styles there will always be kind of a main anthemic thing i think to worship but it's fun to see where it's going, and I love going down to student ministry at North Point and hearing the electronic stuff and, and seeing it, seeing kids just jumping into it. It's awesome, and I think it's fun when we do that some on Sunday morning, but it's also fun like to pull all that away and get back to just a couple of vocals and a piano sometimes. Hmm. Just to remind people, it's, it's more about the song and the heart. It'll always be about the song and the heart. there's going to be different skins, just like iPhone skins we use on our phones that look different, feel different, you know, but at the end of the day, it's about the heart, the song and what we're coming before God and leading people to do in response to him. So
0: what does a worship leader need to do to have a great relationship with the lead pastor?
1: I'm going to say something Louis said years ago, and um, I've actually interviewed him a couple times since, so he would say it. I think the lead pastor is the worship leader. Hmm. And I believe that the temperature and the culture of worship, what that even means in your church will be directly related to if you're the lead pastor, it's your vision for worship. Because you have so much influence. You have a bent toward what you prefer. And that's just who God made you to be. So you, I would say you're the worship leader. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've heard and, Louis say that, and it is so convicting because I'll just speak for senior pastors for a moment. Yeah, We can be the guys on our phone, um, you know, texting somebody <laughs> in the back room or, you know, something's blowing up. We can be the people thinking about, what is that third point I was going to try to make? How is that story going to land? Like, I if you go inside my brain during a service... It is not very worshipful. And I've been in the yeah. room with Louie when, you know, the music is playing and he is worshiping. He's not worried about that stuff. Yeah. And it's just, I'll just, you know, confession time. It's just so convicting to me. And so I've really got no right to look around and go, what is wrong with these people if I'm one of the people who is distracted or not paying attention? And that's not every day, but hey, that's real.
1: Well, and, and when I say worship leader, it's, you know, it's in the moment being dialed in. You know, Louie told this example one time in an interview I did. He said, "You know, sometimes something'll happen at the end of a song and it's like a 40 a 747 just landed in the room. Like you can sense something's going on and there was a moment in the music and he said as a lead pastor, "You've got an opportunity to partner with what just happened." And put a megaphone to what just happened, how we just ended that song and bring life change, opportunity for life change that there. And that's just elasticity, kind of in the moment, being aware that, God, how can we, again, work together as a team, as a worship leader, as lead pastor, knowing we're all worshipers? How can we use our strengths to help each other and help people? sit in these moments and see God in these moments. Cause they, sometimes they happen and they're like, what just happened? You know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you do a bridge to a song. It's like, man, people are like all over that, <laughs> you know?
0: What, uh, behind the scenes, uh, cause you coach a lot of worship leaders as well these days, right. uh, not only at North point, but beyond that, mm-hmm. what, what does a worship leader need to do to make sure that they stay in sync and, uh, have a healthy relationship with the senior leader? I mean, I
1: think a lot of it's just friendship and calendar, you know, mm.
0: um, that simple.
1: Well, I mean, in the early days, I remember when we first started North Point and I told Andy, I'm like, hey, um, I need to meet with you like every now and then, because I want to know song wise, like what your heart is for worship, like what. I want to partner with you in that. And when we started, man, that that was happening and it was really cool to see. Now things have changed and there's different lead pastors and all that kind of stuff. But now Clay's at North Point. So if if I'm involved in worship leadership, we're we're connected. We're in meetings together and sometimes we're going out to lunch and we're catching up and seeing. So it's really just realizing that you're co-laborers in this this mission. And what can we do? Within reason, you know, we're not going to be at each other's house all the time, but what can we do just as friends with the calendar to make room for coffee and checking in and mutually. And I tell worship leaders this, Carrie, you have no idea what your lead pastor has on them. Mm -hmm. So serve them humbly, pray for them, support them. You be the one to come to them and say, hey, man, is there anything I can help you with? With the services Sunday, any way I can do, serve you guys with music, just always be that servant. And I think when you do that, man, it's just, it's a good thing. And it opens the door for hearts to connect and it'd be
0: a part of, you know, from where I've sat, uh, over these years our best moments are always when myself and the person responsible, sometimes not even the worship leader who who might be a contract and has a day job or whatever, but, yeah. but the person who's orchestrating the whole thing, you're equivalent uh, when mm-hmm. we're in a room. Uh, and honestly, often we'll craft the service together because, you know, in our case, guy named Andy, Andy will come up with uh, yeah. an idea that I hadn't thought of. And I thought, Oh, that's <clears> got to go into the message. And then, you know, I might have, a, a thought that says, he says, oh, I got to cut that song and do something else. That, that kind of constant communication, the great relationship, the being in the same room has produced some of our best services. And the more you try to compartmentalize it or delegate it away, I, I don't think you can do that. I think there yeah. has to be a, a synergy that happens, even in a large church like North Point. And you right. sense it. You sense it whether the service is a whole bunch of disconnected parts that somebody threw together Absolutely. in a planning meeting or whether there was some soul behind it.
1: Yeah. Carrie, I think fighting for that um, is, is so needed and so hard in a plug and play, you know? And you mentioned it before. It's like we've got the service order and it's so easy because it's our job in the church to say, these are the components. What are the components this week?
0: Exactly
1: it's a different thing to say, God, you know, we're in this series. What do you want to do? And how can we serve each other to make this thing cohesive, you know, from start to finish? And that's, that's the challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. What does a senior pastor need to do? I mean, we have a lot of uh, senior leaders listening. What does a lead pastor need to do to have a great relationship with the worship pastor?
1: I think, you know, reaching out, um, I think it's being honest about your dreams and heart for worship for the church and communicating that often and making sure that you're you, again you're a team because there's it's I man it's so powerful again when when you have kind of more of an emotionally artistic heart kind of person that gets the creative and the music thing serving um someone who's more maybe administrative or more of a thinker and you bring those two together but i would just say lead pastor your worship leader knows that you're for, needs to know that you're for them um that you love them that you've got their back it's it you know and an encouragement that they have the spirit of jesus in them
0: so you've had the privilege we talked about it uh, already a bit but of working with Andy Stanley over the last uh two decades. And what are some yeah. of the best things Andy has done, um, as far as, as your relationship goes and your work as a worship leader?
1: Man, I think, um, just going way back, Andy, like we used to come and hang at high school with me. Um, you know, he, he'd hang out with the, the kids in the youth group and he just encouraged us and, I mean, I remember one time I had to prepare a talk and give a talk at high school. I'm not a communicator. He helped me with that. He was fresh out of seminary. He pulled me into a discipleship group in his dad's office back when I was in college. Um, He helped me with gear. (laughs) He helped me get studio time so I could, you know, record for the first time. Um, Hmm. I mean, the guy just is just, you know, been for me from the get go. And it's pretty, pretty humbling especially now seeing all that God's done with his life and obedience and um, call. But, um, you know, I think he's just always been encouraging to, you know, encourage me with what I'm doing right with music, but also challenge me as a a pastoral leader about how to connect with the hearts of people in leadership. And I've seen him do that week after week as a communicator. And I think I, I couldn't have helped but learn along the way. Um, from really one of the best communicators in the world, Um, Hmm. how to be more than just a singer. And he challenged me again with how powerful music is and Todd, with communication matched with your heart. It's a powerful tool and man, use it for the glory of God. So he's just been behind me and encouraging me in that way for so long. I think Um, that's
0: been for me one of the biggest surprises, I think, of this interview is just how important that those bridges, that communication is as a worship leader, because it really reveals who you are and who you think God is and, and makes an emotional heart connection.
1: Yeah. We can't lead, you know, we can't lead somebody to something we haven't experienced. We can't, you know, lead people to someone we don't know. And so I think there's such a desire in church to say, Hey, we need this music But I want to be a person with my life to say, these people who are carriers of this music, I want to be about helping them understand who they are, how precious they are, sons and daughters of God, and how they don't need to be afraid to stand boldly before people week after week in authenticity and say, hey, I'm just like you, (laughs) just like you, flaws and all, but Jesus saved me, redeemed me, gave me freedom and life, and He can do the same for you. So, um, yeah, it's just, there's such an opportunity there.
0: Hmm. Love your heart, Todd. You've been doing something for a few years now called Worship Circle. Do you want to tell us about it? Because uh, it's something I think is really cool, because I imagine worship leaders are a lot like pastors, and they don't get a lot of community, or not as much as they need.
1: Yeah, we've... uh, I started three years ago with uh, Christy Knuckles and I. She had a small group online with girls. I had a small group online with guys. And, you know, Carrie, the heart of it is for leaders to know that they're loved and they're not alone. And ministry can be a lonely place. Um, but I found in my own life that r- amazing things happen when I have the freedom to be real with some people, and with some guys. And um, we want that for other leaders. And And so God just given me this vision to partner with known pastoral seasoned leaders to bring in other leaders and shepherd them and remind them of who they are and their identity in Christ, that they have what it takes to be these pastoral leaders of power with the Spirit of God in them week after week in their churches. So Christy jumped in three years ago. Kim Walker Smith from Jesus Culture jumped in with us about a year and a half ago. Paul Balash lives up in New York now, but Paul's with us now, and we've got vision to grow it. And um, we just love our community group online every month. It's a one, you know, one hour of community group, and then we have a special master session of teaching time. And God, it's crazy that God can use technology. <laughs> He's, you know, we've got a guy in Hong Kong right now, girl in Germany. He's literally bringing leaders together from around the world, in the community to let them know that, that he loves them and that they're loved by by these these sons and daughters of God that are shepherding them but you know Carrie, something happens in my heart and it happened a while ago I was like I would get up and lead at North Point and God reminded me that Matt Redman who's a friend of mine is leading over in England and then Kim's over here at in California and then down in South Georgia you know, or in Dothan, Alabama, at Troy's church, there's a worship leader on that stage and, you know, down in access and up with you guys in Canada. It's like something happens in us in the kingdom when we realize that we're not only not alone, (laughs) we are, we're an army. Mm. And when you feel like nobody's like knows what's going on here in my church, you know, nobody's going to help me get any better I just want, I want to bring the, the the ministry leaders together and say, no, we're together, we're with you. And you've got the spirit of God in you to accomplish in your lifetime more than you could ask or imagine for the kingdom of God in your church. And so that's what worship circle is about,
0: you know. Now, is it invitation only or can people apply? How 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 do you become part of it?
1: We you go to worship's uh, www.worshipcircle.com and there's an application link to apply for our program. We do six six month terms, and we stagger it to where if you want to stay in another six months, you can. But we go through different curriculum throughout the twelve months, um, and we ask you to submit a video telling us a little bit about yourself. We get to watch you in action, and we place you in a small group, and it's it's amazing. I mean, we get Great feedback, just term after term, of leaders whose lives are changed, and their churches are, you know, hitting us back with great feedback as well.
0: And anybody Either, can do it. Do you have to be part of a large church or mega church, or
1: anyone can? Yeah, anybody can sign up. And and you know, finances are an issue. Um, we have a form on there where you can raise support for your for your term and for your. Uh, membership with us, and some people do that, and, and so we we don't want there to be any barriers for you if you're a worship leader to be able to jump in. Um, the other thing we do, we've got a retreat that comes up in the fall. This year, we're going to be on the West Coast, but that's the time where everybody who's been online gets to come together in person and see each other for the first time in person, and man, cool. it, it is, you know, after crying online and praying online and you know, just learning together online to be able to to hug a person and sit around the table and break bread, and then get in a room and sing together and worship God. It's just, it literally is, it's it's powerful.
0: That's really cool. And so that's at worshipcircle.com. Yeah, great. And where can people find you online, Todd? They can find you there.
1: Yeah, you can email me at todd at worshipcircle dot com.
0: That's great. Todd, this has been incredible. Thanks so much for your legacy and for all that's ahead. So grateful for you, man. And uh, thanks for building the leaders today.
1: Carrie, thank you for having me. And thanks for all you're doing with so many different leaders to help those of us who are just wanting to lead more people to Jesus. Thank you. Right on. Thanks, Todd.
0: Well, wasn't that a great and honest conversation with Todd? So you're going to want to check out some of the links. Just go to the show notes. It's com slash episode 154 or go to leadlikeneverbefore.com and just uh, type in Todd Fields in the search bar and you will find the show notes with all the links to everything. And it's also a great way to share what you've heard and learned as well. So if you're a worship leader, maybe there are other people who would benefit from this. You can um, share this podcast. And to all of you who do that, I just want to say thank you so much. We have almost 500 reviews on iTunes. Can you believe it? Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. And the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is to subscribe. So you can do that for free wherever you get your podcasts. Here's what I've learned. If I don't subscribe to a podcast, I end up missing it. And next week, you're not going to want to miss it because sitting down and having a conversation with a guy who you may be meeting for the first time, but we are going to talk about big data. And big data is everywhere. If you follow tech at all, you've heard all about big data. I mean, it is all over your life, whether you want it to be or not. You ever thought about how it applies to the church? I mean, when I had my interview with Matt, my my brain was on overload. It was unbelievable. Well, here's just a snippet of the conversation that's coming your way next Tuesday. And we were super transparent with our, with our congregation. We're like, hey, these aren't named people. Like we're not showing the names of the prayers. We're just saying, this is our church. And last year, this is what happened. And the, the year before that, this is what happened. So this is why we're covering this topic and we're offering these programs and classes right now because we want to potentially avoid the, the next thing. I promise you, it's going to be a fascinating conversation. And also coming up, we've got John Acuff. Uh, he's going to talk about how to actually finish what you start. Witt and Willie George are coming up. I got Ron Edmondson coming and uh, Mark Batterson, a whole lot of others coming down the pipe in the next few months. Again, you can subscribe for free if you do. Shows up in your inbox every Tuesday, plus any bonus episodes we drop your way as well. So we're back next Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, trainedup.church, if you're trying to train your volunteers, and I hope you are. And if you haven't yet checked out uh, Breaking 200 Without Breaking You, uh, my new course, you can sign up for the waitlist right now at Breaking 200 Without Breaking You.com. Thanks so much for listening. I do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before.